On today's show, we're going to continue our summer series, Performance Equals Profit, Part 8. Specifically on today's shows, your CSRs are going to learn the value of a sales lead. We're also going to talk about selling techs and salespeople and what they will learn. They're going to learn how to destroy the three-bit objection. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Before we dive into today's content, I want to reach out and chat real quick with all the non-EGI members. If you like the content and you want a free trial, click the Join button at the top right, then select the Plus Membership. We'll give you access to the full courses so you can start to take your business to the next level. One of the things that's really important for your company is to make sure your CSRs understand the value of every single lead. Here at the Contractor University, we have a four-step process to teach your CSRs exactly how to set a lead and make sure opportunities don't slip away. Step one is to build a relationship. Step two is to get both homeowners present. Step three is to qualify time. And step four is to confirm the appointment. Now, before we can dive into the four-step process, it's crucial that you understand the value of a lead and how to measure revenue per lead. Take a look at this segment from our CSR training course. The lead cost in our industry is around three dollars to $400. In other words, it costs the company about $300, $400 to get that phone to ring, to get you know, a lead to call in about a new heating and air conditioning system. Well, the true value of that lead is far more than just the three dollars or $400,000, uh, or the three dollars or $400 rather it costs to generate that lead. The, the, the true opportunity cost, the opportunity loss of that lead is the potential that could have been generating on that sales lead. Uh, the way to get a real appreciation of the value of a lead is that you have to understand revenue per lead. On average, how many dollars does a company or does a sales professional generate on every sales lead? Let me give you an example. Suppose I told you I could drive from here in Colorado to California on one tank of gas. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Well, it might sound like a good thing, but to really know for sure, you have to have two pieces of information. You have to know how many miles it is, in other words, how far I have to drive, and you have to know how many gallons of gas that I burn to get there. In other words, how big is the gas tank? Because let's face it, if I've got a 10-gallon gas tank, then driving from here to California, that's a good deal, right? That's good gas mileage. But if I've got an 80,000-gallon tanker that I'm uh, you know, using to, to feed my car the whole time, then that's not very good gas mileage. The only way to know whether or not that the gas mileage is good is that we have to have kind of an apples to apples comparison, a basic unit of measurement. And we call that, in efficiency on automobiles, we call that miles per gallon. So miles per gallon is, a, is kind of the, the measurement that we've chosen that we can say, well, you know, 10 miles per gallon is bad and 50 miles per gallon is good. But you have to have those two pieces of information to have some basic unit of measurement. Well, in sales, that same me measurement is revenue per lead, RPL. And it's not the average ticket, it is a uh, kind of a, a combination of your average ticket size with your average conversion rate, which we blend together to get revenue per lead. And revenue per lead is the only way to get kind of a uniform measurement of how good somebody is. It's a great equalizer, because whether you're running 10 leads a week or 10 leads a month, the revenue per lead will give you a, a way to measure the success, uh, regardless of the number of leads that you are running. If you're looking just at close rate, your close rate, if you're running more leads, may be lower, uh, so it's hard to compare apples to apples. But on revenue per lead, it should be the same whether you're running 10 leads or 100 leads. Again, revenue per lead is the average revenue generated 
on a sales lead. It's the way you measure your sales productivity, your sales performance. Let's go to the whiteboard for just a moment, and I want to explain revenue per lead because it's, uh, it, the terms uh, may be unfamiliar, but the concept, I'm sure, is very familiar to you. Let's say that I go out there and I run 10 sales appointments. I get 10 leads that week, and I go out there and I run those 10 calls. On those 10 calls, I sell five of them. So I have a 50% conversion rate. I sell five and I lose five. On those five that I sell, let's say my average ticket was $6,000. So I got five deals at $6,000, which means I put up $30,000 of revenue on those leads. But I didn't just use five leads to get that 30,000. I had to use 10 leads. This is the kind of the number of gallons of gas I had to burn to get this far. So if I want to know my revenue per lead on average, I have to take my total volume and divide it by the total number of leads that I had to burn to get that 30,000. So in this case, obviously you can see 30,000 divided by 10 would be $3,000. And so my revenue per lead is $3,000. So as kind of a unit of measurement, it's a way that we can compare apples to apples. We can compare you know, various performances of various sales professionals, whatever it is. I will tell you that in today's business, in today's industry, your best performers, uh, and really I think a minimal level of acceptance is about $4,000 for revenue per lead. And here's why. If a guy gets 10 leads, he ought to go out there and get half of them at an average ticket of around $8,000. I mean, $8,000 average ticket, when you consider the high efficiency and the high expense of high efficiency equipment, high efficiency furnaces and air conditioners and heat pumps, uh, the advanced controls we have, the indoor air quality, and all these different things contribute to averaging, uh, to, to uh, leading to an, a higher average ticket. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, your average ticket might have been less, but with everything going on today, we should have a very high average ticket. After all, most of you know that the government is setting standards for minimum efficiencies in certain parts of the country, whether it's heating or cooling, and that's going to raise the average ticket because the government's forcing people to buy higher efficiency equipment. So when you stop and think about the price of equipment these days and all the accessories available and all the controls and everything involved in our business, an $8,000 average ticket is not too much to ask for. So if I go on 10 sales leads and I close five of them for $8,000, that's $40,000 in revenue. And that is, you know, divided by 10 leads, $4,000 revenue per lead. So that's how you have to look at your revenue per lead. You have to look at the true value of that lead. Oftentimes what happens in a company is that maybe we don't cherish that lead and really appreciate that lead uh, the way that we should. Sometimes we can take a lead for granted. You know, we got too many leads and we end up dropping, uh, dropping leads off and just dropping off bids. But that's not really fair to the whole process because listen, if you stop and think about uh, the average guy out there is generating about $2,000 revenue per lead. That means on 10 leads, he's only generating about $20,000 in revenue. That means he's losing $2,000 revenue per lead. So if I've got a star performer that's generating $4,000 revenue per lead, and I've got a guy over here generating only $2,000 revenue per lead, in my mind, every time I give that guy a lead, it's costing me $2,000. Because if this guy had run it, it would have been $4,000. So you have to hold yourself accountable to this standard. One of the things that you'll see is that the more runs we lead, uh, the more leads we run, rather, when it gets really, really busy, our revenue per lead tends to, tends to drop right? Because you get so many bids, you just drop, you get so many leads, you're dropping off bids, average ticket goes down, average close rate goes down, and next thing you know, your revenue per lead goes down. Because the revenue per lead, again, it's kind of a combination of your average ticket and your closing percentage. 
And so you have to have that measurement to know that if you're you know, doing as well in the summertime as you are in the fall. I've seen oftentimes revenue per lead, you know, we always think about the summertime as being our busiest season, but sometimes we're so overwhelmed and we run in so many leads that our revenue per lead will drop. And it's actually higher in the fall when we have fewer leads. In other words, you go out there and you get 20 leads one week uh, during the summertime, you're dropping off bids and you generate $20,000. $20, you know, you're only generating $1,000 revenue per lead because you're dropping off bids so fast. Then you go to the fall and you have only six or eight leads that week, but because you only have six or eight, you take your time, you diagnose all the problems, you build a great relationship with your homeowner, and next thing you know, you, you know, you've got a, a revenue per lead of, of three or four thousand. So the key is, is to know what that revenue per lead is so you can make sure you're maintaining it in your busiest seasons. I can tell you this, when revenue per lead works itself out, I've seen it happen very often that a sales professional will generate about the same revenue on three or three and a half leads a day as they do on two leads a day. And the answer or the reason for that is very simple, they just get too busy to dropping off bids. So we're much better off uh, as a sales professional, just take my two leads, let me maximize my opportunity on those two leads to ha have high average tickets and high close rates and take those other couple leads and, and hire a new salesman, right? That's how you grow a company. So we have to really understand the value of these leads. When I talk about the value of the lead, you have to look at the revenue per lead. Again, it's not just the three or $400 that we lose if we lose a lead, it's the $4,000 that we would have generated with a $4,000 average revenue per lead. And that's why every lead has to be cherished. Every lead has to, to truly be valued. You know, when, uh, when that phone rings and that call comes in, that lead coordination process is so important. We wanna make sure that lead is properly set and properly um, measured and properly controlled and understood you know, to be the valuable thing that it is. It's the gold, it's the, it's the lifeblood of our business. And oftentimes leads can be handled very cavalierly, right? The phone rings and lead coordinator takes the call and says, ah, oh, they're about 10,000 bucks for a good system, click, right? And all of a sudden we lose that opportunity. Well, that's $4,000 we let just hang up on us. That's why you have to take seriously every opportunity. By the way, if you're not an EGI member, click the join button at the top right hand part of this page and you'll get a free 30 day membership and examine all the courses. You know, as summertime heats up and we get really, really busy, your homeowners more and more often are getting three bids. It's an objection that we all struggle with. I wanna give you some content today on how to deal with three bids in a very effective way that takes the issue virtually off the table and makes your job a lot easier. In this video, I'm gonna teach you step-by-step step how to get rid of the three-bid objection for the rest of your career. And when you overcome the three-bid objection, nothing but great things are gonna happen. Here's what you have to understand. Your homeowners are having a conversation when you're driving over to the house. They're thinking, honey, we gotta get three bids, right? We gotta to talk to multiple companies. We can't get ripped off. Why are they doing that? Because they have so much risk. They have so much fear. They've had so many bad experiences with previous contractors. So you have to keep in mind when you're walking in the house, they have this anxiety. Your job is to communicate to the homeowner and to persuade them that three bids will not protect them. In fact, three bids is a total myth. What's going to protect your homeowner is your company, your guarantees and your service and your quality. So I want to talk to you in this video about how to overcome that. The key thing is you have to get your homeowners to acknowledge that three bids will not really protect them and that what will protect them is your company. So the key is to have a simple conversation with your homeowner and step by step you talk about your company, your quality, your guarantees, your commitment to service, and you get them to acknowledge that three bids is not going to protect them. What will protect them is your company. 
So I'm going to show you this role play video, and as we go through it, I'm going to kind of break it down for you and show you step by step how I'm having the conversation, what I'm saying, and why I'm saying it. At the end, you're going to see how easy it is to permanently overcome the three-bit objection. In this role play video, I want you to watch step by step how I go through the process. The first thing I'm going to do, as you'll see, is just simply open up the conversation with a very casual conversation. No pressure, no you know, fancy sales stuff, just one-on-one -on -one conversations with my homeowner. Take a quick look. Okay, uh, so Doug, if you don't mind me asking, what do you do for a living? I'm actually in the marketing business. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I do a lot of marketing and advertising with our firm. Yeah? Yep. Awesome, awesome. And you, Jamie, I know you said that you work. Yeah, I work in the health club industry, so oh, yeah? actually, yeah, I manage a health club. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. And have you been at that for a while? I have. It's, you know, I went to college for that, and that's really? my sports medicine degree, so okay. I got to actually put it to use. Awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome. You can see that there's nothing fancy. There's certainly nothing high pressure about this. This is a really casual conversation. Once I kind of break the ice with my homeowners, I want to start sharing some information with them about my company, kind of our company story. Take another look. Well, again, I, re I really appreciate you guys having me. And what I'd like to do is just share a little information with you uh, about my company and kind of give you an idea uh, of who we are. And kind of the cornerstone of our business is what we call our buy it back guarantee. You know, uh, when you go buy a flashlight at Walmart or, uh, you know, some kind of tool at, at Costco or something like that, and if you don't like that item, if it doesn't work right, you just don't like it, something like that, would you typically just kind of, kind of take that back to Costco or Walmart and return it? I've never done that. Just yeah. kidding. We do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they take it back. No questions exactly. asked. Yeah, exactly. So what happens when you take something back, you buy a dress or something, you don't like it, you take it back to a, yeah. a department store. You just don't like it. It didn't fit right. Or maybe you just you decided you didn't like it. You didn't wear it. And then take it back, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you just didn't like it. You don't get a lot of brain damage, right? right? If you return the item, you get your money back. They let you exchange it for something new, whatever it is. Well, uh, we decided a few years ago that it should be the same way in the heating and air conditioning business. Mm -hmm. That if you bought a heating and air conditioning system, you just didn't like it, you didn't like the way it heated, you didn't like the way it cooled, you just didn't like anything you know, about it, uh, that you should have the opportunity to return that system. And so that's kind of the foundation of our company. We call that our buy it back guarantee. And it's a very powerful way to do business, a very effective way to do business. And we believe that the risk of this purchasing decision should be on our shoulders, not on yours. Obviously, we're asking you to trust our company. Uh, we're asking you to uh, invest uh, money with our company uh, versus another company. So we figure that it should be our responsibility to make sure the job's done right. And if it's not done right, that shouldn't be your problem. It should be ours. Now, you can see in that previous section, I also talked about our one-year money-back guarantee. If your company has that kind of guarantee, then great, you can use that. But even if you don't have the buy it back guarantee, certainly your company has some type of you know, quality guarantee, satisfaction guarantee, something like that. You can talk about whatever your guarantee is, however your company phrases it. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be like 100% money back guarantee or anything along those lines. Just talk about your satisfaction guarantee. What you're going to see now is once I come out of that section, I'm going to go into a, a personal story that really demonstrates how our company treats customers. Right, I talked about my guarantee and our commitment to service. Now I'm going to give a real-life customer example using what I call a signature story that illustrates our commitment to serving customers. And what you'll see at the end of this is once I tell that story, and by the way, it's really important that you have a letter that supports the story. Because if you say it, you're a salesperson. If your customer says it in a letter, then it's true. It's critically important to get that third-party validation. You're going to share the story and then simply ask your homeowner, how do you suppose, you know, Mrs. So-and-so felt about the way we treated her? Take a quick look.
Uh, what I'd like to do, Doug and Jamie, is to uh, share a letter with you to demonstrate what this guarantee looks like in real life. You hear the term satisfaction guarantee, money back guarantee quite often, sure. and sometimes it's in one ear and out the other. So we like to really illustrate what it looks like in real life. This is a letter from a customer of ours, Sarah Parker, and Sarah had a very high efficiency heating system put in her home, and obviously it's very high efficiency. It was the most expensive uh, system as well. About eight months after we did the installation, I got a call from her. And she said that she needed the old system you know, pulled out and the cheapest system we had installed and refund her the difference. And of course, I was very curious what happened. So I said, Sarah, what exactly happened? And she says, well, I, I just learned that uh, she had been diagnosed sadly with cancer and was very, very sick. And as a result, she was gonna have to leave her job for treatment. As a result of leaving her job, she was gonna have to sell her house. So she was just trying to round up all the money that she could and uh, you know, before she sold her home and went to this very, uh, through this very traumatic situation. And once she explained the situation to me, I said, now listen, Sarah, we're not gonna yank that system out. What I want you to do is very simple. You keep the expensive system. Uh, what I'm gonna do is to refund you the difference and allow you to keep that system because it was the right thing to do. And this is a letter that Sarah uh, wrote uh, uh, the next year after she was able to sell the house. In fact, the real estate agent told her that because she had that you know, high efficiency system, it was actually one of the, the things that the, the person that bought the home from her really enjoyed. And so it actually helped her sell her house. So it was a, it was a win-win for everybody. And this is just a, a, a letter where she outlines that whole story. And, and again, I just wanna share that with you because I think when you're, you're talking to a heating and air conditioning contractor, a contractor of any, any kind, uh, it's important to know what they do when the chips are down. Because obviously these are complex mechanical systems, there can be a problem. You want to know who's going to come out and take care of it and if they're going to take care of it. So, you know, if we would do something like this in this situation, what does that say about how we would treat your system if it went out on a, on a, a 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night and it just wasn't heating or cooling? Do you think our company would be apt to come out and give you this kind of service? Well, it definitely sounds that way. So there was really nothing wrong with Sarah's system? You just, Seriously, you just, that's yeah. amazing. So, Doug, Jamie, I'd like to ask you a question. How do you suppose Sarah Parker felt? when her heating and air conditioning company you know, really had her back when the chips were down and she had this situation. How do you suppose she felt? Surprised, amazed. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that uh, the fact that her heating and air conditioning company uh, kind of stepped in, right. uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah I, uh, it was a pretty amazing. It was a wonderful opportunity for us to, to help her out and, uh, and obviously uh, you know, we wanted things to work out well for her. Now think about where I am in this process. I made the a statement to the homeowner that, hey, you can trust us. We have this great guarantee. We're this great company. And then I told them about the Sarah Parker story, and then I showed them the letter. Once I'm done with that, I asked them, how do you think Sarah Parker felt about her contractor having her back? This is really important to get the homeowner to respond back like, hey, she must have been really appreciative. Sounds like you're a great company. So it's really important that you give that social proof. You tell the story. You give the proof in the letter. And that really demonstrates the whole thing you're trying to do here is to demonstrate that you're a great company. It's going to be really important because in the next section, I'm going to start talking about the futility of getting three bids. Listen, we've all known people who got three bids for something and still had a problem with the contractor. All I'm going to do in this next section is ask the homeowner if they've known somebody who had that experience. Maybe with, even in their own experience, they've had that kind of situation. So I transition out of the, the signature story, the Sarah Parker section, and I transition right in to the three bid myth and why it doesn't work. And, you know, we've all had the experience of, getting three bids and they're not working. Take a quick look. Have you ever known anybody, a friend, a family member, maybe a neighbor or something like that, that got two or three bids uh, for a project for their home, a deck, a roof, windows, HVAC, whatever it is, got two or three bids, 
and still had some kind of problem with the contractor. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that goes around. In fact, I think the, the company that we chose was the fifth company uh, that we had talked to. So right. yeah, it's, it's right. pretty commonplace that we, yeah. we normally get three or four bids. Right. And that's another reason that we offer this guarantee, because we know that typically folks are going to talk to a couple of three companies and try to make a decision. What we have learned is that three bids doesn't really protect us. We get three bids, why? Because you don't want to be taken advantage of, you don't want to be ripped off. And what we've learned through our years of experience in the industry, it's not about three bids or two bids or five bids or whatever, it's about having an ironclad guarantee that if something goes wrong, uh, that you're going to have some recourse. And all the bids in the world aren't going to help with that because at the end of the day, it's a gut check. Think about it. So listen, folks, you've got to make sure your CSRs understand the value of a lead. You've got to make sure that they're setting leads properly so these opportunities don't slip between the cracks. You've got to make sure you hang on to them and capitalize on every single one that's possible. Also, once you get in the house, our sales advisors have to make sure they can confront three bids head on and make sure it doesn't become a problem and undermine their success. That's our show for this week. We appreciate you joining us. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.